Cam's Classics! And on Ken's Classics this week, we caught up with the man everyone thought like Sugarman. Searching for Sugarman, the guy uh, Rodriguez, who sadly passed away recently. That uh, Matt Hannon, the Samurai Cup, was in fact no more. Maybe he had set himself on fire after a bad performance on stage somewhere. It was rumoured until his daughter one day uh, saw on social media there was rumours that he had expired. She told her dad to go on and make a video and show the world the samurai cop was very much alive. And I was happy to learn that he was. I was happy to talk to him. This is my chat with the samurai cop. His name is Matt Caridis, but to a whole legion of fans, he was once known as Matt Hannon. Uh, Hollywood has a long history of cop movies. Among these illustrious, in this illustrious genre, we have many titles, including Ghost Cop, Banana Cop, Demon Cop, Cyborg Cop, Beverly Hills Cop, Vampire Cop, Robo Cop, Clown Cop, Maniac Cop, Kindergarten Cop, Time Cop, Psycho Cop. Kid Cop, Omega Cop, Karate Cop, Gladiator Cop, Wolf Cop, Cannibal Cop, Hollywood Cop, Vigilante Cop, Luna Cop, Battle Cop, Midnight Cop, Border Cop, Android Cop, Future Cop, Base Cop, Zombie Cop. But today we're talking with the one and only Samurai Cop. That is awesome. I'd like those back, uh, read back to me in alphabetical order, please. Okay. <laughs> That's a plethora of cop movies, man. It is. Glad to be part of that club. That's a yeah, that's a whole lot of cop movies. But, but I uh, think we want is the worst cop <laughs> genre movie ever, but that's all right. <laughs> no, nah, we we we're talking uh we're talking about two of the two of the greatest cop movies ever made. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Of course, that depends how many beers you've had. <laughs> yeah, that's the prerequisite. I tell everybody, I said, you've got to make sure that you've got alcohol in your yeah. system. Matt, or some other mind-altering drug. <laughs> Matt, as a fan first, it's really fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you very much for your interest. I appreciate everybody. This is still a, a fun ride for me, even though it started, I don't know how many years ago, three years ago when I came back to life. Yes. And, and, and in, in reading about it and in thinking about it, have you seen the documentary Searching for Sugarman? Uh, is that the guy that did the music? Yeah, yeah, and he like disappeared, yeah. and everyone thought he uh, he committed suicide or he burned himself alive on stage or something like that. <laughs> and for, yeah, very very vaguely, I've I've heard that story or someone had brought it up. Yeah, and when when I when I heard about that story, well, when I saw that documentary, oddly enough, I thought about your story because I thought, yeah, here's, <laughs> here's a guy who you know, I mean, the the film sort of resurfaces after I don't know, twenty years, covered in a vault somewhere in, in Rome and then all of a sudden it's out and about they say some films are released other films escape <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Samurai Cop was out out again now I actually saw Samurai Cop back in the VHS days really and it was a, I believe it was some I think it was Polish the video because it, where you where you had rented it at a, uh, a video store yeah or you just yeah, had no, it given no. to you no, okay. no 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 it was, I rented it well my cousins rented it because they were into all sorts of action movies good bad movies yeah. right 
And I, I remember watching it on a double bill with like a Lorenzo, Lorenzo Lamas movie. I think it was The Snake Eater. <laughs> uh, and my cousin said, I got out this movie, Samurai Cop, and we put it in. And when the subtitles came up, of course, it had like Polish, I think it's Polish subtitles, but it was uh, the track was in English, uh, luckily enough. Otherwise, we would have been, you know, sitting there with a Polish guidebook <laughs> trying to figure out what was going on. But, and, I, you know, I watched it and I didn't think anything about it. You know, I thought it was mostly funny for, for the most part. But I didn't see anything about it again until many years later I got a gift of the DVD came out which has a Joe Bob Briggs commentary track on it. Right. And I was like, wow, I remember. I vaguely, like, I, I vaguely remember. I said, I think I've seen this before. You know, and then I started watching it. Yes, it's the same movie. And wow, like, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, I started asking around and there was this cult had, had sort of sprang up and this new appreciation for Samurai Cop. And I thought, wow, you know, and it just, it just sort of, it exploded. And then of oh, course, yeah. then of course I sort of started doing research, you know, thinking, okay, what, what happened to the film? What happened to the people? And then obviously, I mean, there's some notables like Robert Zadar and Gerald Kamura, you know, who, who did other things. But then, you know, got to the got to yourself, you know, at that time, Matt Hannon, and I was like, wow, he, he, he kind of vanished, right? And, 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 and word, word is that he'd, he'd died. And I thought, oh, that's kind of sad, because now he's got this film out and it's got a cult following and he's nowhere to be seen to, to uh, read the benefit, as it were. <laughs> yeah, the ridicule. Yeah. <laughs> but thank goodness you're alive. You're resurrected. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, that's, yeah, there was quite a lore around that as far as where it was found and, and when it had popped up. But yeah, I, I believe Amir had originally sold it to some some territory over in Poland. Right. Uh, and, and that's about it. Like I said, it never got any uh, theatrical release or video release here in the U.S. So it just went away, and I, I never thought about it again. I just thought, oh, I could never use this for footage <laughs> as an actor. And right. then, uh, but yeah, I never hid or anything. I just kind of got out of the business because it was just too... Yeah. You know, there's, it's just it's a pain in the butt, especially all the hoops you got to jump through. And I just said, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to go through all that. I'll wait till they call for me. Yeah, <laughs> of course, right. it was 30 years later. Yeah. But <laughs> an overnight, a little past, past my prime. You're an overnight sensation that took 30 years to get there. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So uh, let's let's begin at the beginning. What's a nice boy? How did a nice boy from Oregon <laughs> end up here? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, end up where I am now. Yeah. I just I had uh, gr grown up and obviously in, in high school had done theater and so on and so forth. And I thought, oh, you know, this is kind of my calling. I was always a class clown since probably my earliest first grade, you know, elementary school years. And then I graduated high school and, and did everything that I could do there in Portland as far as local theater. Right. And, and, and I left Portland. I was probably a, a big giant, you know, weightlifter, thick, 270 pounds, looked like a linebacker, um, steroid-free, of course. But I thought, let me go to Hollywood, and, and I like to be funny. Let me be kind of a John Candy-esque actor. I don't want to do action and, you know, that kind of stuff, obviously. But basically right. what Dwayne The Rock Johnson now is today is what I was kind of looking to do. And I came to California, and obviously you need a job when you get here. So I, I had friends that were in the security business. Right. And that led me to the bodyguard job, which eventually got me uh, working for Stallone. And yeah. then from there, I just, um, I think Sly had come back from filming Rambo 3, and I thought, you know what, I need to kind of get in a little bit better shape. And Sly didn't like us standing out so much uh, when we would go out to dinners or clubs. And he thought, you know, you guys obviously look like bodyguards trying to <laughs> trim down. So yeah. I, that's kind of when it hit me, the vanity and the narcissism, and I just shredded down to that 180 I think we filmed Ram, or, I'm sorry, Samurai Cop at, I think I weighed about 
to 230. So I went down from 270 to about 230. And then obviously my current wafy weight at 53 years old is about 175. But so that was that was kind of what it was. I just came to Hollywood, got a job. I was lucky enough to work for the biggest action store in the, in the town. And then uh, I pursued my own stand-up comedy and other stuff. And then I just, like I said, didn't want to jump through the hoops, get the headshots go on auditions, this, that, and the other thing, and, and just raise my two daughters. But it, it was interesting, because the, the only information I had for the longest time comes from a Robert Zadar interview, which is on that particular DVD that I was gifted, in which he, he mentioned, yeah, A, yes, that you were Stallone's bodyguard for a while. And another thing he mentioned that was kind of interesting, the only other thing he mentioned about you is that during the filming of Samurai Cop, you were eating a lot of turkey. <laughs> well, I would always bring my own food to the set, because, again, to look... That way, it does take a strict diet besides the weight training. And uh, all Amir was buying was fast food, Chick-fil-A, and, and McDonald's, and Burger King for everybody. So uh, I also saw that same uh, commentary on oh, that DVD okay, when, right, when yeah. Robert yeah. <laughs> had recorded it. Yeah. And uh, I just kind of, you know, I just, I don't know. I just think throughout the years, that's just mainly, and I still do today, eat the same. Yeah. Uh, all white ground turkey breast with, you know, fruits, vegetables, everything else. But that's that was kind of my staple back then. It was just funny. He locked, he locked into that. As <laughs> yeah, that was like the one thing. He's like, yeah, what do I remember that? He was a good guy. He ate a lot of turkey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, you can often tell by the, the quality of the film production by its catering. So, <laughs> yeah. It was, oh, yeah. It was mostly Chick-fil-A, huh? And, and, uh, oh, yeah, it was McDonald's. terrible. Yeah, because Amir didn't really have that. I mean, the crew loved it. They didn't care. But yeah. uh, And Mark... Frazier, my co-star, but um, yeah, I just I would always come with my own water, and it's just easier that way. I, I still do that, like I said, in my everyday life. That's kind of the key to maintaining a. If you're into the aesthetic look of your body, you, you really gotta. It's hard. You can go out to restaurants and then just kind of order clean, but it's just easier for me to carry my own stuff. I eat a lot of electroceuticals and Chinese herbal stuff to keep the internal organs all healthy as I get older here. Well, but well, there you yeah, go. I'm, I'm kind of a nutball that way. <laughs> that's okay. Well, that, that's. Help, helpful information for the uh, the health conscious listening out there. Yeah. Health, <laughs> health there's, you know, there's a potential thing for you about good health with the samurai cop. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they keep telling me to put out a workout video and a diet <laughs> video yeah. in the samurai way. But it, it I said amongst everything else coming out with video games and poster, yeah. I mean, clothing lines, and everything, it's just crazy. It's, it's nutty. But no, I don't think any fitness books in the works. Could be, that could be a really good late night infomercial, actually. I think. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't go down that yeah, road. I'd, no, that's right. <laughs> come, come out with the samurai sword, and, you know. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I'd be taking it too far. I just enjoy the little bubble world of the cult, uh, the fans who, like I said, just keep popping up. Even in my regular nine to five life, it's it's amazing the crossover. Yeah. That I, I'm just down at my local grocery stores now, and kids, you know, checking me out at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, which are you know a local store, are recognizing me, and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is just insane. It just keeps on. <laughs> Getting more mainstream, and of course with Tommy's movie, uh, who was a co-star with me in Samurai Cop 2, Tommy Wiseau, also yeah. being a legendary cult film, uh, you know, guy. Uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco made the movie about his story called yeah. Disaster Artist, which yeah. comes out here in December. So I, I, I'm afraid the two worlds will collide, and <laughs> we may cross cross over cult world into mainstream, and they'll go, "Who are these nutty hair, long hair guys?" Yeah, no, I thought it was ironic. Finally saw Samurai Cop too, because I remember I, I try to listen to some of the other interviews so I don't rehash a lot of the old quotes. But I thought it was <laughs> I thought there was some great irony because before Samurai Cop two was released. A pair of interview, interviewers had you on their show, and uh, they were talking about other sort of good, bad movies, uh, in which they mentioned Troll 2 and The Room, and then when I saw 
Tommy among the credits <laughs> of of Samurai oh. Cop too. I thought, what a what a genius move to put. Oh yeah, it was... to, to put him in the picture. Uh, <laughs> I, I give all that credit to Greg Hatanaka, the director of the second, who's a fan fanatic of film, and, and he just thought, man, if I could get Tommy, and, and it wasn't easy because Tommy's a little scattered, he's just out there, yeah. but we did get him down and finally got him, and, and uh, once Greg releases that um, uh, Enter the Samurai, which is kind of a behind the scenes of what went on during the filming of Samurai Cop 2, and a little bit of the history of why Samurai Cop became the right. legendary cult movie, that's supposed to come out around December 2, but Tommy was just uh, an amazing get, and, and I enjoyed working with him. It was hard to keep a straight face in most of my scenes. <laughs> oh, that's great. So that's going to be released on uh, DVD and stuff as well? Yeah, he's finally... It, Greg's been trying to focus on his main line of work because he, he, he took a big financial hit with right. Samurai Cop 2 because, as you know, in the business, you really don't make much money. Yeah. Uh, but so he's trying to put some time together to get that final cut done, but I think it'll be interesting for people to kind of see how uh, Greg's vision in the in, in the beginning as a fan of Samurai Cop 2 just really, like Amir, didn't end up the way that he wanted it, and we've got chaos on screen, but again, in its own way, it's it's kind of interesting. It's like a psychedelic cartoon come to life, Samurai yeah. Cop 2 versus the first one, but yeah. uh, so once again, yeah, we'll see, we'll, see, we'll see how time tells on that one. Yeah, I'm very interested to see that documentary. Look in the trailers and stuff for it. It'll be yeah. very interesting to watch, but so... You know, you, you you did a bit of a Terrence Malick and disappeared. And then what, what? So what? In the wilderness years, like obviously you just went and had a normal life, yeah. You just went and what got a job. Mm. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say normal, but I don't know how many interviews you listen to. But yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I basically kind of stuck around town, and yeah. I tried to mainly um, put myself in places where I thought that I could make connections. And obviously, one of them was the gym in Santa Monica, the Santa Monica Bodybuilding Center, where Sly trained, right. where. All of the big wigs in Hollywood came, Tom Cruise, Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson at that time, um, you know, Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson. So I thought, let me network and maybe I could make connections there right. of trying to get an agent or this or that and the other thing. And then, um, uh, so I dabbled in that for a while and then I kind of got mixed up with the wrong group of guys was into some nutty crap and went off and did a little time here for the state of California and then came back out and finished raising my daughters. And I currently just work in an industry, the trade show industry. Right. Uh, where we set up and, and uh, put on big trade shows like the Comic-Cons and LA okay. Auto, big, big shows. And, right, and that's yeah. kind of what I do now and, and have been doing. And, and uh, I'm in charge of all Southern California. And that also, like I said, a lot of the shows that we do, um, people recognize me, especially E3, which is the big electronics gaming. We're getting ready uh, this week to set up um, TwitchCon, which is another, anything that says con in it, people know me. I, it's just funny because they'll just recognize me. Hey, man, you're the Samurai Cop. And it's just <laughs> like, I can't, you know, you know, I'm trying to do my job and everyone's looking at me like, why is that guy taking a picture with you? And it's yeah. like, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just funny, but most of the people in my line of work know about it by now, but it's, yeah. it's just, uh, it's fun. Like I said, it's the right amount of uh, fame because I said I never really wanted to be famous. I just love the uh, amount of money that you can make in this business, yeah. which, of course, most thespians will say is the wrong reason to be in it but yeah. this is the Kardashian area, era you know everyone's out to make a buck and, yeah. but uh, no I just I just love hearing stories of people when they come up to me and I ask them when they saw it and, and, and how they were exposed to it and it's just never heard anything bad you know other than oh my god you were horrible it's hilarious and I love that so it's yeah. fun no it's I mean there are 
the you know uh, the the common trend is there you know there are good movies there are best. I mean I know people who think Titanic's a crappy movie. <laughs> so uh, you know it, it's uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder as they say. Yeah yeah no I don't blame anybody they're dead on and I've always agreed with every ridiculed uh, <laughs> thing pointed out from day one. I'm my hardest critic. So I mean you know the two the two different experiences the samurai cop experience and the Samurai Cop 2 experience. Both sound like they were, you know, a reasonably sort of chaotic productions that were not without not without their element of chaos. Let's say. In contrast, what what were what were the experiences? I think I think this one at least I got a little bit more collaboration with the director uh, Gregory Hatanaka. He gave me a little more leeway. Obviously, I'm a control freak. Right. And I have certain, like I said, I, I've done stand-up comedy, and a lot of that is based on your own personal. You write it, you perform it, and there is no third, fourth, fifth input. It's your creative uh, integrity not being, you know, compromised. Um, here, and obviously with the first movie with the mirror, uh, multiple arguments about the dumb dialogue, the horny nurse scene, the nudity, the love scenes, and I would say this is not right. You know, that was me, the young actor, thinking. Why would I be making love to this helicopter girl when I'm trying to get with this one? And, and I would have arguments with the mirror. We actually had an argument just before that love scene that was shot with uh, Melissa and I, Melissa Moore, who played the, the girl in the helicopter. And that's why you see me giving nothing in that scene. I was just like, fuck that. I'm just going to be an asshole and he won't even use this. And of course, yeah. everything was was used. But that's yeah. the immaturity. But again, it's somebody else that's putting up the money. It's You're hired to do what they want to do. Same thing here with Greg. Yeah. There, I, we had a lot of discussions because I didn't want to repeat some of the crazy eyes and a lot of the growling and this and that. But Greg said, you got to do it because the fans are expecting it. So me, Matthew Caritas, Thespian, 30 years later, wanting to do a, you know, a better job, yeah. I, I was kind of torn there. And that's when you have to drop the ego and realize, okay, you know, that's, if that's what he wants and maybe he thinks this will be funny. Yeah. So uh, there were scenes where I could just do some better acting and then other scenes where I had to repeat a lot of the nonsensical stuff that, that people love. So yeah. that's why in the third installment, why I said, you know, I'm going to be writing, controlling, directing, everything, and, and we'll try to go out with third time's a charm. No disrespect to the first two uh, auteurs and, and directors and so on, but I just felt that Mark and I are going to do this one more time before I turn 55. So yeah. that's kind of where we are now, and I, I'm enjoying looking forward to that. But but it was that was probably the, 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 the difference between the one and two was that I got to be able to give a little bit more input. That scene in Samurai Cop 2 the, between Mark and I, I had written that, uh, because I felt it was a key point that needed to bond the two characters or give Joe a reason to come back with Frank, uh, you know, out of his reclusive world that he was in after the death of Jennifer. And Greg didn't get it, and I said, no, you don't understand. It just we cut from here to an airplane, and it, it just it's not enough. And, and it really played out well, and Mark was thankful that we did it. But those are the kind of things that I can add to. I don't really know how to do, you know, um, or, you know, I, it's a fine line, like I said, to show respect to the director. But I, I put in what I thought needed to be done, and it did turn out to be okay. So, so that's where I'm thankful for Greg and him allowing me to do that. Yeah, I mean, you always run the risk. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of movies that you would call unintentionally funny. You can't write unintentionally, unintentionally funny. You can't really direct unintentionally funny. Because, because at the time, I mean, you you yourself, you're just doing you're doing what the director's doing. You're doing you're going off your own instinct. It's not you're not trying to be funny. Uh, correct, and I also take eighty percent of that performance as horrible acting as a young actor too. Besides yeah. the dialogue, 
Um, so it's not, I don't want to always put it all on a mirror that we were yelling our lines really loud and it sounded like this, which was yeah. horrible because, you know, mm. he just said, oh, you have to talk louder. I go, but then I'm shouting the line. It doesn't have the subtlety. Anyway, but a lot of it was bad acting. I just thought I was the shit back then. And, you know, oh, look at me, I'm starring in this action movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I've always wanted to make sure that people understood that. Besides, you know, once you stick a wig on my head that clearly looks like a wig, you're not going to get me given yeah. 100%, but whatever. That, that, was, that was something my wife has long, long wanted to ask you. Uh, after I after I introduced her to the film, she said, "He's wearing a wig," and I said, "Yeah." Uh, she said, "But it changes." And so her, her question was, "Is it a different wig? Was you know, was, is, was it a multitude of wigs, or was it one bad wig, or you know, what was the battle? Yeah. Of, what was the battle of it, the wigs?" <laughs> it was one bad bad wig, and I like I said, we filmed the first um, from June until November. With my real hair, and we, and in that time frame, there was a lot of time in between where weeks would be go by, and then right. Amir would look at the footage and say, okay, come back, I need to shoot this and that and the other thing. He finally said November of 1990, we're done, it's in the can, I'll call you when it's ready. So then I went and cut my hair really short, noosh headshots, so on and so forth. Then he called me in December, January of 91, and I thought I was coming in to pick up some footage of the movie. And he's like, what have you done? I had more to film. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You told me we were through. So he, we grabbed one wig on Hollywood and, and Vine in, in Hollywood, California. And at the time, uh, it was, he thought it resembled my hair. I did it all. Like I said, it looks like Jacqueline Smith and Charlie's Angels. But yeah. I was trying to accommodate. And I thought, all right, far away shots. No one will know. But as you saw, it was many, many close-ups. And yeah. then as it kept going on, it just the humidity in L.A. would curl it up. Nobody was fixing it, styling it. It was falling off in fights and getting <laughs> dirty. So it's just that's what became the joke. Yeah. So yeah, I I, uh, I was just trying to you know I felt bad, but on the other hand, I thought this isn't all my fault because this guy said we were done yeah. and this is nonsense. But uh, that, so, yeah, that was a whole lot was of one wig. <laughs> that was a whole lot of wig to try and stuff under that baseball cap you had on. I was, I was, oh yeah, that was even forgot because I got so fed up with it, I just threw the hat on. I think that day because we were stealing that that particular shot in front of a live uh, police station right. and that cop that comes out was a real police officer <laughs> and Amir kind of bluffed him through because the guy goes, what are you guys doing? And, uh, and Amir says, oh, we're filming a second unit for Hunter because Amir always was aware of what shows were filming in downtown LA that had permits so he could try to piggyback <laughs> off that. The guy, and then he goes, but as a matter of fact, we were waiting for the actor, but can you play the part and that act, that guy wasn't an actor, he was a real cop. And then we came up and he said something to us and then we drove off. But it was just hilarious the way that he could pull that <laughs> off. I, I love the way it sounds like he would stop and grab shots like Ed Wood. Um, oh, yeah. And, and he had ideas where he wanted to shoot, and, and but he just didn't know the setup until we, like he said, all right, we're going to go over to the Parker Center and we'll, we'll sit out front and let me see if I can. And he would a lot of times throw him from outside of the back of that van. Remember the van that's yeah, in the movie yeah. that we do the... Drug, so he would steal shots yeah. like that, or, or he'd just set it up real quick and tell me and Mark, all right, quick, yeah. run up there. And that's why a lot of that is uh, ADR and, and voiceover, because he didn't have his mic. We were just yeah. lip-syncing it later. Or, uh, most of that was Amir's voice in that, right. that scene. All, <laughs> actually, all the voices and most of it were Amir. Uh, I, lo I, love the, I love the revelation that, uh, that came out when I was checking out some other interviews that, that Mark Frazier did some dubbing of... <laughs> Character, the, the character that you're in the editing room with in that one. Thing. Yes. We call him Walt Disney, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and he didn't remember though. 
No, but that was I thought that was great. But you know, I mean, it's one. I mean, it, it was very clear that he was the dude directed like thirty movies. Amir Shivan. I mean, going all the way back, films that he must have made in Tehran, like The Black Suit Thief and Man of City and Captain and Turkman. And then he comes over to the States and does like The Young Rebels and Killing American Skyler and Hollywood Cop is another cop movie. Yep. So, I mean, was he, was he, did he come across as capable or did he, was he just very sporadic? And I, th- I think he was very capable, but again, like most filmmakers here, you're kind of limited to funding. Obviously, I think he could have done better work had he more fiscal resources oh. and uh, if you watch all of his films like you had just mentioned the young rebel and so on and so forth you will see a common thread it was almost like a western style uh, the old westerns is what, how amir shot all that lots of guns especially in my movie just different very you know like six shooter revolvers from like the old days oh. and big shotguns and so on but that was his style and um he uh, and I've spoken many times and had dinner with his son Ben, who currently owns all the uh, the titles. Right. Uh, and Amir was a very shrewd businessman. He would make these movies for ten, twenty, thirty thousand, and he would sell them for you know hundreds of thousands of dollars at the film market. So right. he just always wanted to have the the, the good looking guy, the girls, the boobs. And the action and the guns, and and that's what he felt would sell at these film arts overseas. So right. he would sit there, and when the big movies were being sold uh, to territories that were wanting hundreds of thousands of dollars, Amir would say, "Hey, I've got something like that, but it's only ten grand or thirty. And he would schmooze, and he was a very, very shrewd uh, businessman, and he supported his family uh, making movies. So, um, and I think he would have enjoyed this, um, what had come of that, and and, and been in on it. Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't think he would have been insulted. Yeah. Um, I just think uh, it's just funny to look back, and you can really pick apart a movie, and you can see every technical mistake and so on and so forth that he did, but he was trying to make a movie as quickly as possible and turn around and sell it every year at that film art. So he was just under the time frame of get it done quickly, and then with whatever resources I got, make you know as much of it for no money at all. A lot of us didn't get paid that much. We were just doing it for the uh, exposure and to, you know, to get some footage for us as actors. Yeah. Well, one thing that stood out to me was it seems to be a, it seems to be a film of odd cutaways, and the cutaways, from what you said in other interviews, were filmed after the fact, like the you know the cutaway to Frank, like Frank's reaction. Um, yeah. You know, it seems like because like you know like you, I think you said in another interview like you came back and did some like you know your responses were done like several days later in a different room. Or yeah. Yeah, like an assembly line in that it was Ramirez's office and yeah he would just do various pickup shots and that's why we always look like we were all sitting in the same area but and and, and Mark with his looks and his because he, he was so confused Mark was a very well-trained New York actor and he never this was his first starring role right. so he didn't get it when we would just randomly be just sitting there and Amir would go okay Mark uh, stand up uh, stand over there okay now laugh and Mark has no motivation. He doesn't understand the context. He doesn't know where this is to be inserted, where it's from. Is it coming up? Has we already shot it? Yeah. So poor Mark with his, you know, and then he would just consistently look in the camera. I don't, it was just, there was no discipline for any of us. After a certain point, we were like, this is crazy. We just got to get out of this thing. Yeah. And we'd show up and do the best we could to, to appease America. And Robert Zadar is someone I always wanted to get in touch with. I never never did. He sadly passed away. Was it like working with The Face, as he was known? Robert Zadar. <laughs> yeah, I had met him briefly when I was with Stallone and we were filming Tango and Cash over on the Warner Brothers lot. And I remembered him distinctly, obviously, because of his face. Yeah. And then come to find a couple of years later, here he is on the set. And, and we didn't really have that many scenes together except for the climatic 
yeah. uh, sword fight at the end. But yeah, um, yeah very, he also was was very serious in what he did there. You know, and I thought, wow, you know, it's just weird. He's doing this no non non union movie, but he was in Tango. So I always had this illusion of the different type of Hollywood that you would slowly keep going and going. Now he was a character actor. I get that. Yeah. But Maniac Cop and some other movies, and he was typecast, obviously, by his look. Yeah. And um, But, yeah, every scene that we did or anything that you watch him do, he, he's very serious about it. He, he didn't, you know, he would have some blow-ups with, with the mirror on set because it obviously wasn't a big-budget movie, and he was getting dirty and wanted to shower, and there was no none of those type of accommodations. But yeah. uh, kudos to him for, for really being a professional. And like I said, we didn't have that many conversations together, and I was really sad that with the two attempts that we tried to fly him out for um, the sequel, uh, one was delayed because of weather, and the second, obviously, he was, had ailing health, and then, of course, yeah. he succumbed to his uh, kidney and, uh, problems and died uh, yeah. just before we could get him back. So, But we yeah. put his little homage there. I don't know if you caught it in the yeah, yeah. sequel on the TV, good. but, um, yeah, yeah, great guy and, and, and legendary uh, fan base, too. A lot, a lot of people loved his work. Yeah. I, I, one question I've, I've always been <laughs> wanted to ask is, why did, the, why did he feel, and do you know why he felt the need to speed up the film in certain places? Like, in the sword fight, the film is bed up there is that because you were, <laughs> is that because you were going too slow or they just you know, i think so i think because uh gerald akamura was giving uh, robert and i choreography for the fight scenes and i of course argued saying i don't think this is how samurai fights go it's not a swashbuckling errol flynn type yeah. fight it's more or less a chess game of posturing and moving and leaving an opening and seeing if your opponent will take it and then it's one Either he's going to get you or you'll get him, meaning you baited him and then you cut his head or whatever. Mm. But uh, because those swords, you know, uh, when you see in the close-ups, they're all dinged up. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> but, yeah, even the car scenes, the car chase scenes, because we were driving in and around neighborhoods that mm. were 30 mile an hour. Right. So we weren't trying to, you know, when we crashed into garbage cans and this and that, that would be a neighbor's house. And we'd have the neighborhood kids flocked around watching this moron in a wig running around, you know. It's just, but, uh, yeah, that, that's that's kind of his, I, I think, style of how he tried to make it look, you know. But it does come across as Benny Hillish, you know. You know, it was funny. I thought it was. But, you know, that's just creative filmmaking. That's what made it such a legendary gem. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, a lot of actors strive very hard to, you know, I mean, they go, you know, some actors go looking for certain films that they think will will advance them. You, you, you sort of, you're the opposite. You kind of stumble into a film that would, would go on to have a cult following. You know, as an actor, from, from the actor's side of things, like, was that, you know, now looking back on it with all, with the time and all that sort of stuff, is it, is it something that, you know, if, if you, if you could do it again and you were going out looking for parts, you know, would you, would you have chosen something sort of say, oh, you know, I think that would be a good movie to, you know, to be in. Like, I, I know a lot of actors sort of say, well, if I wouldn't watch it, I wouldn't be, you know. It was that, oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, but I think I think the script, when I first met Amir, and again, I met him through a, a, one of the fellow bodyguards uh, with Sly Royal Gorg, who yeah. had done, I, I think, a couple of days' work on maybe Killing American Style, and he said, Matt, you know, you got to get out there, you got to get some tape, go see this guy named Amir. And, and I literally walked into his office, and he just loved the Stallone look, you know, the similarity, even though I don't compare my, obviously I'm 6'3", slice 5'10", but there was a slight, I get it, physical features, so on and so forth. Yeah. But So I was so thankful that, you know, the minute I walk in, he goes, oh, that's it, you're the star of my movie, this is a lethal weapon type 
you know, low budget action and you're going to be the Mel Gibson part. And I thought, wow, I mean, this is, and I read the script and he said, you know, if you want to change anything, we'll, you know, we can, which is just a way to get me <laughs> to do it. Yeah. And literally a week later we started filming. So I still think I would have enjoyed that opportunity. I'm still thankful that he gave me that opportunity because I had only done one small part in that American Revenge yeah. uh, movie that yeah. another friend had, had uh, given me. So I was slowly working my way up, but and I really thought, okay, if I shoot this movie, even when we were filming it and I knew it would not be fantastic, I thought there's got to be some pieces that I can kind of cut out and put on a reel. And it was really, I was very hard-pressed to find anything that I could use. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you know, because either I was a horrible actor or the dialogue was ridiculous or I was screaming my lines because Amir didn't have any body mics and we were yelling to boom mics that were 20, 30 yards away. Right. So, no, I, I don't think I would change it. I still am very appreciative of, of what it was. And because of that, you know, yeah. here I was at 50 years old shooting a sequel because yeah. of it, and I kind of got a second shot at it. Yeah. Um, and it, it just more or less let me know, you know, there's kind of a, a time frame of when you're at your peak. And in this town, I'm more of a reality personality than an actor. Um, I still enjoy trying to get in there and get it right. But my, my true calling, I still love the stand up just because uh, it's just something that I can control and own. But now it's a little harder because um, of what's happened. So I just felt now I'm kind of locked in and obsessed with doing doing this thing and finishing it and doing a, a good movie and who knows if the fans want that but i think most of the response is we just want to see you and mark together we love seeing you guys and it's kind of like that underdog story they feel you guys got shafted and you probably could have worked had you were given you know good projects coming along and taking small parts in, in big movies and i would have developed as an actor as an apprentice got better and better and better and you know looked at my performance and go oh, i gotta change this i can't do this that's what would the natural progression be. But, you know, 30 years have passed. Tom Cruise started, you know, he was in 82. Look at him now, and he's the same age as I. So, But he's got a plethora of films, and he's a great talent, but he had a lot of opportunities slowly from taps to this to that. You know what I mean? All the right stuff. And then he started getting, and then he gets one big hit. I mean, imagine if I could have been given the, the diehard role that, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Bruce Willis, sorry, yeah, had gotten. Now, again, that, that, that script itself is amazing. You could put, now Bruce Willis came from television, Moonlighting, he wasn't a big star, but that movie launched him. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's just being at the right time, getting the right property, and fitting into what needs to be done. And you can just, like Sly said, you can become a star overnight. It's based on the fans accepting you, and then once you've got them, then, you know, you're fine. And that's kind of inadvertently what's happened. These, these cult fans are, are a frenetic bunch, mm -hmm. and they can make or break careers. It's a crazy world, but Trek fans, I mean, it's a lot of, and I, I consider them connoisseurs, basically, of, uh, to find a piece of crap movie like, <laughs> you know, Samurai Cop. Yeah. And to enjoy the subtleties of it, that takes a certain type of viewer. It's not the average guy would sit down and put on Samurai Cop, would turn it off in 30 seconds going, this is a piece of shit. Yeah. But some people go, no, 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 you got to look deeper. Look, there's something else here. Forget the surface. This is amazing. Look at this nonsense. And that's what is an you know eclectic boot to a bunch of fans that I enjoy because yeah. they really found <laughs> the nuttiness and made it what it was but yeah. no i wouldn't change a thing i think i would i would have hoped to put myself into better opportunities to kind of grow as an actor but now like i said at, at 55 i mean I, i'm not turning down anything like i've said in other interviews quentin tarantino's a huge fan of samurai cop and <laughs> he ever said hey i got a small part in a movie That's i'd be right. there in a second you know and, right. and yeah. he launched travolta's career as a revival you know so you just never know yeah. so i'm open to that but i'm kind of being realistic that, this kind of is what it is that will be that will be fantastic actually i hope <laughs>
I hope that I hope that comes off. I want to see that. But yeah. uh, you know, it's like, hey, that's you know, you know, and the, knowing knowing that's him. That's the samurai cup. Yeah, knowing and, him, I, and knowing I'm him. also cognizant of the fact that I'm kind of a one-note actor at this point. I know my range is extremely minimal, so I, I'm not looking to do Leonardo DiCaprio stuff, relevant, yeah. you know, relevant, whatever the movie. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I kind of know what I could do, but there's a lot of people out there that are working in in that same type of range that that make great money and it's just kind of nothing special but they're interesting or they have some type of background that, that makes the fans say oh I'd love to see him in something and yeah. and that's flattering and, and that's always welcome from yeah. my point of view and, and knowing knowing Quentin he'll probably credit you as, as Matt Hannon you know, just, uh... <laughs> yeah yeah I don't mind <laughs> just you can a... call me Fred Sparkle for all as long as you give me the movie just, just for nostalgic reasons but yeah. um, no but I mean at the same time you know we're talking about this movie no one sets out to make a bad movie, though, do they? No one sets out right. to make a piece of crap. Like they, you know, you know, Amir probably said, didn't he? he said, well, you know, I'm gonna make an action movie. That's what they want, action. You know, you don't, you know, same with the sequel. You don't. That, that's why I thought a sequel would always be dangerous because how are you gonna, how are you gonna match something or rekindle something that was completely accident in a lot of ways? You know? Right, right. A happy action. Yeah, and that's what we tried to avoid with the sequel uh, with Greg, but we threw in the. Little subtleties just for the fans, but on uh, for whatever reason, he actually had the same almost circumstances that Amir did. You know, we were running out of time; we couldn't film. He had to make things up on the fly, and that's why people look at it now and think, "Oh, they did that on purpose," and he really didn't. And I think that documentary will show that we just had a lot of the same accidental coincidences of just low, low, low budget movie making where, you know, you, you, you can't go back to a, a sound stage that we're on, so Greg finds a brick wall that looks similar and we stand in front of it, or, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. it, people can pick up on that and go, what the fuck, why, why? So that, that <laughs> kind of stuff happens, but it just, it's not intentional, but it just, it, it is what it is. And that's the danger of, when the first script that Greg presented me for the sequel, it was nothing what you saw in that final. So that's right. how he just had to start hacking away, we can't afford this, we can't do that now and that's when the artistic integrity starts just getting destroyed and all he's trying to do is piece together a beginning middle and end and there was a lot of drama that went on with Tommy with Caden Cross we didn't know if certain people were going to show up by Ling so he actually started filming alternate storylines right. just in case so and so couldn't come in or so and so quit and then when you get done filming now you have five different storylines and now you got to try to make them all make sense and that's why it was so confusing to everybody what what's what is Caden is she the dead one or she what's the what, why she wear a blonde wig what the and it was so first she was a detective then she was a bad girl and then she's Tommy's sister and it's like what the fuck is going on really? so that's why I said people look at it like I, I just watched that movie and it was visually stunning but I had no idea what I saw and I said that's that's what I said. It wasn't intentional, but that's what it ended up being. I, I love in the sequel they got a good portion of the original cast back. One of the surprises for me was to get, and I'm going to mess up his name here probably, but Yostalito Rescobar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rosalito Rescobar, yes, yeah. yeah, we found we found him reluctantly. He kept ignoring Greg's Facebook invitations because they thought he was a crazy man, and his kids kept going, "No, Dad, this is for the movie that you did." And and what we come to, came to find out after interviewing him, he was actually the producer of all of of Amir's films. He had the money. He was a doctor. Oh wow! And he had quite a lot of money, and he he helped contribute and and uh, was in all of you know uh, Amir's movie. Played the Indian in one movie and uh, something in another, uh, and then he played the gay waiter, of course, in ours. But yeah, yeah he was 
was great to have back. He's very much into religion now, and he's a preacher or something like that. But yeah. it was very fun to film with him that day on the uh, on the airplane. That wasn't even what he was intended to do. He showed up, and we happened to have a 747 set that day, and yeah. we changed and made him a steward on it, and we created the dialogue and so on for that that yeah. scene. But again, it was just fun to get him back. My buddy Tom Gleason, who was the one-armed uh, you know guy, we thought that was hilarious. He came back with a little prosthetic arm <laughs> with a couple <laughs> rubber gloves on. I mean, yeah. so I had written that scene, and I thought that would be a good way to bring Tom back in. And, and uh, he was actually wearing the exact same shirt that he had on 30 years ago with both sleeves cut off. So those are little things that we got, but we didn't know if diehard fans would pick up on. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah everybody that we got back, Cranston, and, and he did another amazing job. I think he does better performance than myself, obviously, in the first and second, but yeah. he's not even an actor. But um, yeah. the only one was reluctantly, we did find uh, the girl whose name at that time, um, Jennifer. Um, oh, yeah, Janice uh, uh, Folly. Je Janice, yeah, yeah, her name's changed and she's moved on and wanted nothing to do with it. I respected that. She's <laughs> got, you know, a different life now, but right. I wish she could have came back because it would have made a little bit more sense. And I think maybe I can lure her back for the third, but we'll see. Yeah. Just because the budget will be in the four or five million dollar range. So she might be, okay, this sounds, yeah. um, but anyway, so yeah, to get everybody back, that was nice. I think the fans enjoyed seeing all that. And, and we just couldn't find the horny nurse, never knew what her name was, could never find any documentation of, of her name as an actress. And then, of course, the redhead girl that plays the here comes the boss all the time yeah <laughs> would have been nice nice to get but uh yeah. you know we'll have see you, have we'll you, see have you listened to it with the joe bob's commentary yes yeah you that's did. the first one i think i ordered on amazon and watched and just <laughs> laughed and that's what i'd seen the uh i loved all that and even riff tracks had recently done yeah. a live riff tracks of um samurai cop and that was hilarious yeah. too and i was so thankful they actually edited out that dumb love scene and a lot of the, the dumb uh foul language because i yeah. think it, it would play better to a, a bunch of kids teenage kids would love it but there's that gratuitous sex scenes with robert and the other you know so that was cut yeah. out in that live and i was thankful for that because i was in the theater with a packed house yeah we actually sold out two theaters in burbank wow. uh, when that played but yeah. um and that was a bunch of fans you know i introduced the film i said how many of you seen samurai cop not one hand went up but they were huge red <laughs> tracks again <laughs> so i was like oh well then i i don't really need to say much here i'm just uh I, I, it's self-explanatory i'll see you at the end and then of course standing ovations and then they all came out and greeted me when i left and clapped and i talked with everybody so it was fun to introduce that to a bunch of new fans that had never seen it and have them had the riff tracks over it to 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 enjoy it and and, make, and mock it and make fun of it. Yeah, I, I loved his his <laughs> with your speech there in the in the first one in the in the bar there. He says this is a speech that uh, Matt obviously highlighted in his script. You know, the, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm here to tell all you motherfuckers that you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you uh, sons of bitches. I had told Amir over and over, I said, we, we, we don't say that in our language. We would say, you know, sons of bitches, not son of a bitches. And he says, no, I don't like, please just say it the way. And I said, all right. <laughs> but yeah, I had that thing memorized. And, and like I said, I was in his office, not even in the restaurant, because he'd never filmed the right, reverse yeah. angle of that. Right, and and yeah. just sitting there talking to a lamp and just pissed off, like, I can't believe I'm sitting here doing this. And it's 80 degrees, I got a leather coat on, I'm sweating in here. And it's like, so yeah, that was just, it's whatever. Like I said, I look back at it and it's hilarious but it right. but uh you know i was i mean that was me 
I, I think trying to do a good job, but uh, also being frustrated that, you know, it, it just, it was horrible all the way around. It's bad acting. Yeah. It was terrible. Well, I, I thought it was great. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, it's okay. great. Yeah, okay. that okay. it was just ridiculous. Like, yeah. look at this tool. In, in, the, in, the, in the context of the movie, I think Yes, it was brilliant, yeah. (laughs) But I loved uh, Joe Bob's whole analogy, like in Hollywood you have a golden age and then there's a silver age and then in this case the counterfeit peso age. Um, (laughs) But also another thing I loved was in another interview of yours, they compared the the on-screen meeting of you and Tommy as uh, De Niro and Pacino in Heat. Yeah, that's what I tried to. That's what I tried to sell him when um, Greg said, "Come on, let's meet Tom, uh, Tommy for dinner." And Tommy was literally three hours late. And I was just like, "What the fuck? Who is this guy?" Because I knew nothing about him. Never saw the room. Right. And so when we're sitting at the table, I was trying to explain, you know, we'd love to have you because I think the fans would love, you know, this genre of, you know, they just love cult movies, good bad actors. He says, "I'm not the bad actor." I said. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, I'm a bad. So then I had to realize, oh, okay, this guy still is a little. You know, and, and then I said, you know, they just want to see, it's like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson playing one-on-one and De Niro. And, but yeah, he really took offense to um, me saying, you know, we're just two horrible actors that people laughed at. And he's like, I, I wasn't horrible. And I'm like, oh. So it kind of hit, hit me like, wow, all right, this is this guy, okay. This guy, this guy, so, believe, this guy believes his own stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's no disrespect. Everybody, I mean, he can be entitled to, but I mean, Tommy was absolutely worth every penny that we paid him for that sequel because anytime he is on camera he is entertaining beyond belief now whether or not he thinks it's a different degree of entertaining is his perception but i think most of us are kind of in on it and um you know like i said kudos to the guy i mean when this film comes out and obviously i don't know if you've already heard there's there's oscar oscar buzz for james franco playing tommy as Tommy yeah. Wiseau and the disaster artist, either yeah. as a director or as an actor. I mean, that would be quite the irony yeah. if this guy wins. But you do have to take your hat off to Tommy because, you know, regardless of how Tommy got the money, which obviously there's a documentary out there called Room Full of Spoons that I watched when I was invited to Madrid, Spain, that was played at a film festival. Right. Um, and and it talks about where that money came from and a wealthy woman and there might have been some shadiness, blah, blah, blah. Right. But Tommy still didn't just talk about what he could do. Like I used to say, oh, if I could do this and that and the other thing, he did it. Right. He got the money. He right. went out and good or bad, he completed a film and whatever amount of money was spent, just like Greg Hatsunaka did, just like Amir did, they, they, they made a film. And it's yeah. very hard to, to do that. And you right. can talk you know, as much as you want about, oh, I could do it better, this and that. Well, then go do it. And yeah. to really do it and pull it off yeah. is is very hard to do. Greg Hatsunaka, from the time that I announced, hey, I'm alive, everybody, yeah. and literally a year later, that thing was in theaters, played across the United States and all over the world. And I flew to London at the premiere there, and I went to Madrid for the premiere there, and so on and so forth. And that's an amazing, with with no advertising. Greg had no nothing on Sunset Boulevard, no advertising. It was just word of mouth. Yeah. And and it played in every single city, and, and, you know, for a night or two, the diehard fans came. But that's an amazing thing to have two rewrites, shoot it in like three, four weeks around Christmas, edit it, and have it in theaters within a year. It's unheard of. So yeah. that's why I said, no, good, bad, or whatever, I take my hat off to Greg and his achievement there. 
Yeah, but no, totally, like you just said, I mean, it's very easy for a lot of people, critics and, you know, whoever else nowadays, everyone's got a soapbox, but it's very easy to rubbish a movie, but like you said, hey, go out and try and make one. And, yeah, it's uh, tough. Yeah. And, and, and well, I mean, you know, to the degree where Greg had it in theaters, had deals with, you know, that anybody can take a camera and put something on YouTube, I get that, but yeah, to really sure. get it out there and distribute it and have posters made, and to do that Kickstarter, that was quite a task to send posters and all the things that go along with the fundraising. Yeah. all around the world there's a lot of and Greg honored all that you know yeah. people wanted t-shirts or me signing blu-rays and this and that and, and yeah. Uh, so yeah he, he, that poor guy you know like yeah. I said he's still trying to fiscally recover from that but yeah. he will eventually but yeah. it's just um, I'm very thankful that he was that much of a fan and he gave me that opportunity to to make that sequel without him we would have never done it along with you know the fans interest yeah I mean you talked about briefly about there about James Franco playing Tommy <laughs> Wouldn't it be ironic if if, if somewhere, in, in some sort of alternate universe, you know, Samurai Cop was that big of a cult following that they decided to do a big budget version and someone like Tom Cruise played you or something like that? Yeah, but no, that would be, yeah, that, I think Tommy's is unique in that. I mean, we are in that same cult bubble, but I think Samurai Cop has to stand, because it wasn't just, there's nothing unique about, I mean, it's unique because of its craziness, and I think that in and of itself is enough and I think that's why it's important I feel that we at least do a trilogy and kind of either glaze over the second one and just pick up where are Frank and Joe 30 years later and I've got that story and we've got this thing traveling you know to Tenerife and then to Madrid and uh, back to London to New York LA and San Diego that's all in the script so we're trying to make it a traveling picture where all the fans because that's where a majority of the fans are UK U.S. and, and um, over in Spain, yeah. uh, huge fan bases. So I thought, you know, and we got a lot of interest with the tourism in those those countries who put up some some cash because they felt, yeah, this would be beautiful. And I think it's an amazing, you know, thing to track because it's kind of taking it full circle. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's why I said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And it's going to be what I have on the page is what we're going to put on film. And, and I'm really a stickler for music and soundtrack and stuff like that is very expensive. Some of the music... Mm. that I want to use a lot of stuff that Greg had in the original cut, uh, you know, we couldn't license because they're wanting 10000 or 40000 It's like, come on, guys, we're fucking low budget. So yeah. that way I'm doing, I'm working it backwards as far as music, around story, and then locations. And I, I think people will enjoy it uh, when it comes out. It should be done and ready for that 30-year anniversary in 2020. We'll release it at uh, Comic-Con in San Diego. That'll be huge. What's it, so do you have a title yet? It's not just a Samurai Top 3, is it? No, I don't even know if we were going to, yeah, even touch base. I think the fans will know. We're, it, it's kind of being made as if, you know, the fans will know that it's a third installment, but maybe it could also be out there as just a low-budget movie. Who knows? Like I said, we just don't know as far as how uh, Frank and Joe, but I don't yeah. think it'll be as farcical as the second. And yeah. it would probably be a, a throwback to the old 90s-style uh, action movies. Because yeah. nowadays, you know, everyone's floating in the air and, you you know, spinning yeah. with special effects. We're trying to just kind of do an old school bad boys or, yeah. you know, lethal weapon, whatever. I yeah. think that's kind of what, what, what Amir would have wanted to do had he had the opportunity to make that type of a film. Yeah. Hey, I've got a title for you. <laughs> okay. For it. The Last Amorai Cop. The Last Yeah. <laughs> In my everyday life. That's a, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, we've gotten so many people that have ways that they'd love to see this shot even when we were doing the sequel they were like oh i hope you do this that and the other thing and it's like you can't please everybody has different versions that's why i said you can't really mess with magic and it's just it is what it is but yeah. like yeah. mark said let's just do it before i die man i'm 70 or 16 well i'm years yeah. old because i can't keep waiting so that's kind of why we were just laughing about 
Yeah. Or is it going to be two old fucks up there on the... But it'll be an inside thing, and if it's marketed right, you can recoup your funds that way. I know Netflix sometimes will pre-buy and yeah. so on and so forth. But I think it's mainly just to do it, uh, and who knows how big the, the audience is. Like I said, we don't know what's going to come of Tommy's movie coming out, and then maybe people are like, well, what did the guy do since The Room? And maybe they'll say, oh, he was in a movie called Samurai Cop 2. You just never know how the world and the connections, yeah. you know, some big studio exec's got a son who just goes, oh, my God, Dad, I love this movie. And then all of a sudden they're calling you in to say, hey, we'd like to help you on this. Or, you yeah. know, you just, you don't know. So that's kind of where we're just, it's fun every day waking up seeing well, what's well, new today. To, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely think the cult of, of, of yourself and, and Tommy at the moment is, is pretty right. So, I mean, it's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, and with the video game coming out too now, it's yeah. the, um, they, they made a video game, Samurai Cop, it's been in about a year in production, but it's a retro style video game as if the movie, uh, you know, 1990, that's when the video came out. And that's kind of hot right now too, nostalgia yeah. video, old school. Yeah. And it's funny, I've seen a lot and I helped, I worked with the guy that designed it and we had some funny story, of, you know, things that would be on it. So we'll see how that goes. But it, it really is, like you said, it's all about timing and, and yeah. the cult world. And, and yeah. uh, it's just funny that Tommy and I looked him because of our hair and everything else. So it's like, who are these two knuckleheads? They're like the Barbarian Brothers from the 80s. They separated at birth. One of them looks like a vampire. The other guy looks like uh, hey, a movie Stallone there. with Down Syndrome. But, there's, there's, yeah. a, there's a movie there you guys could do, like that Van Damme movie, Double Impact, where you play two brothers. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Tommy would work again. No. With me, I don't. Be, especially now, he's probably thinking, oh, no, I am only for big movies now. I don't mess around with. I mean, who knows? You do. I tell but, you what, you do him very well. You might have a career. No, right? that James Franco did him amazing. I don't know if yeah. you've seen the trailer for the. I mean, he's I have. Just, it's incredible. Yeah, but but you you know you you've got a, you've got a, I think you've got a, <laughs> you, you've got something to go. You do you do him pretty well. Well, yeah, he's got a certain cadence, but it's just mainly yeah. uh, like I said. I think everyone's going to enjoy that behind the scenes footage because uh, believe me, we had cameras rolling any time yeah. Tommy was on set, and he's just so. Entertain, yeah, like I said, even the rehearsals of him and I, he couldn't remember the choreography of, you know, left, right, up, down, kick, spin, this, that. He just, you know, and it was just hilarious to hopefully be, like I said, we had live, live samurai swords and close ups, and yeah. we were wondering, shit, is he going to forget and cut my arm off? Or are we going to? So it, it'll be fun. I think yeah. it's a. Uh, something to look forward to. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I can't wait to see the documentary. Sincerely hope, Matt, that you get. Please feel free to use that title, The Last Samurai Cop. I hope you get that, that into fruition. I, it sounds really cool. Personally, I see a fourth one. You could come down here and do... Uh, <laughs> down in Australia. Absolutely. Do the I'll make it over there someday, believe yeah, me. I'll need, travel. Yeah, you do, need to do the fourth one, which will be the Samurai Cop down under. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a Crocodile Dundee kind of spoof rip-off. I yeah, don't know. We'll we, figure it you, you, cut, you cut your way out of the, the jaws of a giant crocodile or something like that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, cash in on that In truck. a wheelchair. I'm already, like I said, 55. How much longer? They're 30 years too late for my... Mm. Well, maybe I, I'm just, maybe maybe in the fourth one you could play like the old master who teaches the new... I'll hire over. a young yeah, actor yeah. kid to play me in the younger years. Yeah, and you can uh, you can teach the new samurai cock. <laughs> You can be like the old master now, finally. Yes. But, Matt, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. They they thought that Matt Hannon had uh, gone the way of the tagline of the first movie, which was, yeah. uh, you have the right to remain silent, dead silent. But it turns out he wasn't dead. He was just chilling out. He was, he was just cooling. He was just cooling off as the other thing. Just tag, cooling off. 
Yeah, but Matt, it's been absolutely pre- as a as a fan. For, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you this morning. Oh, uh, thank you very much. Thank it's, you very much. Like I said, fun yeah. to have the admiration. I appreciate it. Yeah. I hope uh, I hope everything that's going on around Samurai Cop, the cult of Samurai Cop, pays off. You know, with the with the video game and the documentary and third installment and all that sort of thing. So uh, I hope it. I, uh, it. I hope it all goes well, and I hope you and Tommy <laughs> remain good friends. Yeah. <laughs> Get together and do something of quality soon. I love that. That was a great line. <laughs> You're a bad actor. I'm not a bad actor. <laughs> yeah, he goes, oh, he was so just right on it, too. He's like, I'm not a bad actor. I said, oh, I mean, um, and I had to just quickly, I said, oh, I offended him. He's out of here. And Greg's looking at me, and I'm like, I thought he was in on it. I thought he knew. I mean, uh, that's, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. well, I think Tommy's drank his Kool-Aid a long time ago. So he's, uh, yeah, but God bless the guy. Like I said, yeah. he's, he's uh He's a unique individual and one of a kind. Yeah, and that that's certainly that film, like you said, with James Franco looks like it's going to be Oh, it's going to be good, man. I can't wait. Yeah. Have you read the book? No, no, uh-uh. I, I've heard about it. I actually just finally, uh, two uh, months ago, went and watched a live screening here in uh, Westwood, California. Of uh, Tommy's The Room. It oh, plays every month, and I, I went in and snuck in the back. Of course, everybody recognized me. Oh, no. Yeah. Hey, the Samurai Cop watching The Room. there's a lot of crossover, yeah, fan yeah, base, and I'm yeah. trying to lay low, but I don't know, maybe they thought what, but the guy, the, even the theater owner uh, recognized me. And he goes, oh, would you like to introduce the film? I go, no, it's just Tommy's <laughs> movie, not mine. I just want to watch it. He goes, oh, all right. But the fans are so, it's just amazing how they just interact like a Rocky Horror Picture Show, and there's just, everybody's yelling out one-liners, and it's really a fun event if, if you ever get a chance to see one in yeah. Australia. I know he plays it all over the world. Yeah. But, no, um, I haven't I haven't seen it in a theater yet, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I think that, that'll be a good movie, and I hope that it's well-received here by the uh, Hollywood, and it sparks some interest about all those lost, talented people from the early 90s. <laughs> washed up union union workers looking for a, looking for a handout. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's been uh, it's been a real thrill, mate. If you ever if you ever make it down and they give us send us an email, we'll get together and have a beer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll do. We'll arrange a screening and find some other guys. Maybe the other four people in Australia that love the movie. <laughs> well, you know, well, I'm, I'm one of them, so it won't be hard to track. No, I know. The other That's a unique guys. club. Yeah. You. It's a very it's like a million miles uh, airline club. It's just very few get into it. So yeah. I'm honored to have you there. Yeah. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, All right, you're welcome. Thank you.